This is the Coast and Country podcast from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country with Helen Mark. This is the tide running back, yeah? We're at a location that's called The Strand, which is just below Garden Cliff on the main river itself, on the River Severn. And uh, at the moment you can see the tide's been pushing in, it's now running back, so the river's filled and the tide's now running back. And uh, this is the lowest point that we really fish, the main river for glass eels. Here I am in this location beside the Severn and um, it's pulling with it lots of great um, logs and sticks and brash that is obviously collected further up the river and it is taking it down and they are just zipping past us. And I'm with Richard Cook who owns and runs the Severn and Y Smokery. But just take me back because you and eels, you go back a long, long way. Yeah, I've had a uh, very privileged life. Um, my whole boyhood experiences have been built on, on the glass eel fishing season. My father was, uh, was collecting and, and exporting and conserving glass eels uh, before me. And, uh, I mean, I have memories of him telling me to stay in bed, don't get up tonight, yeah? And his house was at the, uh, at the collection station on the A48 at Minsterworth. And I could lay in bed and I could hear those vehicles slowing down during the night. And my bedroom was on the front of the house. And I'd stick my head out through the window and i think, God, there's Bill Vines. So I'd close the curtains quickly, get dressed, and I'd run downstairs, yeah, to meet Bill and some of the fishermen. And uh, then whilst you're up, yeah, you're up, you know, you stand with your dad and you just start weighing in the fish. And it's great fun. It was great, great fun. And the eels at that stage are the glass eels. That, you know, they're transparent. Yeah. Is that, that's the elver stage of the eel, is it? Al- elver is a, is a local term, really. So glass eel is, is the name that they're sort of recognised throughout Europe, yeah? But when you say elver, we're talking about a term that's used in the West Country. So, so Somerset, Gloucestershire, Monmouthshire, yeah? We'll go alver fishing, yeah? So, yeah, they are threads of glass, which we call alvers. The glass eel fishery is a right for the poor. So the salmon fishery and the sea trout fishery on the rivers is controlled by the landowners and the aristocracy and the crown. Yet the glass eel fishery is is the right for the poor to fish. It was a really important source of protein years ago for the the farm labourers and people that live along the banks of the river, yeah? And so for this week's Open Country, Richard, we want to come and spend some time in this particular area to look at the story of the eel because it's in bother. There are problems with the eel population. There's a lot of debate about why that has been caused and there's a lot of debate as to how... You know, and what should be done to try and recover this eel population, not just in the UK, but we're talking about the whole of Europe. But for us, for now, we're looking out over the Severn, a traditional eel fishing river, you know, with its great tidal flows that bring those, those transparent eels from their great journey across the Atlantic up into our UK rivers in this part of the world. 6,000 kilometres. The Severn is a fantastically well-designed natural funnel. And as you state, those tidal fluxes, they're massive forces of water, wash these fish up into our river for us to catch. And, you know, us to catch, control and preserve, yeah? There is an acknowledgement that the adult eel population in our waters and our rivers hasn't changed. What we are seeing is a decline in the glass eel catches, the glass eel recruitment on the rivers in the UK and throughout Europe. If... The 
arrival of the, the glass eels has so plummeted, why is it that the adult eels, which are up in our rivers, because that's where they, they go to grow, why is it staying the same? Surely it will have been affected. 95% of the glass eels that enter this river will die in the first three months. That's always happened. That's always happened, yeah. So it needs relatively few fish to get through to create this sustainable stock of adult eel in our rivers, yeah. 5% of 100 tonnes that perhaps were being caught years ago, yeah, is significantly more than 5% of what we're catching today. But there is a commitment from the fishing community, yeah, to restock. Now, we have to restock 45%. This year, it was close on 70% that was restocked from the Severn and the British fisheries. I mean, that's a massive, massive restocking effort that's taken place. And does that mean catching the glass eels and literally transporting them further up the river? That's, it, it it's means, kind of giving them yeah. a, a sort of a little bus ride in the middle. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's that simple, yeah? Moving fish from where they're going to almost certainly die and taking them to the nurseries, to places where they can access our wetlands, these, these, uh, all the ditches, the dikes, the ponds, that, that they can't get to because they cannot get out of our river. The only vehicle that they have to get out is to be caught so they need to be caught. And they can't get out now because of what our human management of the rivers. Yes. Our sea defences. Our attitude, our attitude to controlling flooding is one of containment. We build sea walls, we build sluice gates to protect the surrounding land. That in itself stops the exits of the glass eels from the river. They just can't get past those can't barriers. Get past them. Can't get past the weirs, can't get past the sluice gates. Mm. To be caught by a British hand net fisherman where there is no bycatch, there's less than 1% mortality. And then to be released back to the wild seems such a, seems a no-brainer to me. When we talk about the glass eel being in trouble, a far greater probability is that the, the knowledge and the fishing skill is the first thing that will become extinct. And the fishermen are absolutely key to the conservation effort that's taking place to preserve this fantastic resource that we have. We have a responsibility to allow future generations to fish for glass eels. Hence the Eels in Schools programme was born. You have a very, um, a lovely programme where you involve local schools. Yeah. And you give them a tank of eels. So we're going to go and and visit one of the schools who Mm. have taken uh, on this project wholeheartedly. And I believe today is a very special day for them, having nurtured these eels in their classroom. Yeah, well, the boys are quite excited that uh, we're going to put them back today. So, you know, (laughs) it's the feel-good factor today. Right, now Richard and I have come back to the Severn and Wye smokery because... You have a, a set of eels ready to take out to the school. Is it to replace the ones that, that the, the youngsters have already? Yeah, and the, 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 the tank in the school has about 300 eels in, yeah? And we've got uh, nearly 40 children coming with us today. So I want to make sure that every child gets a good volume of fish. So we take some from the tank in the school, which I've been looking after, and then I dip into my, uh, my secret stash... <laughs> And then I bring glass a glass eels. And then, All right. So here is so a, here's, it's in a white polystyrene box, and I'm going to just lift the lid 
And oh, look at that. It's, I mean, the box is about the size of, like, you know, very large table mat. And there's, oh, just a tiny little bit of water in there. And these eels writhing about in here. Oh, look, you just push your finger. Oh, no, I don't think I push want to put my hand in. Push your finger Seriously? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're long, browny, green. Oh, they're, <laughs> I feel really so funny. <laughs> they're threads, aren't they? They're like long threads. And some are... Look, there's a big fatty yeah, there. Yeah. But look at that one beside it. It's more like a bit of cotton thread, whereas that's more like sort of darning wool. And they're all sort of making for the corners now. That's probably because we've stuck our hands in there. Isn't that amazing to see? So these now, these now have made that transition from the glass eel into this pigmented eel that we... You know, this is what we associate eels to look like. Their brown backs and their white bellies. Beautiful body movement, isn't mm. it? Um, snake-like through the water, smooth, gliding. You know, so unrestricted in their body movement. They are pure muscle. OK. So up. we're going to transport them in the back of the, the van. And what we'll do, Richard, is that I'll go off and talk to some other people about the, you know, the eel population problem and the attempts at recovery. And then I'll meet you back at one of the schools yeah. that are taking part in your project. Yeah, brilliant. The, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll be ready. So you transport those safely okay. now. Good. <laughs> See you later. So here we are. This is a, a, a drainage ditch draining the wetlands behind here. This is a, a Gloucestershire Wildlife Trust nature reserve with about three or 400 acres that the, the trust actually manages. But it then sits within 1,200 hectares of wetland management that all the farmers and the Wildlife Trust all working together to create a great wetland. And this drainage ditch from it should be full of baby glass eels and young elvers but there are hardly any here at all. And the reason for that is? Well, we're just walking down, and I'm going to show you the reason. This drainage brook joins the River Severn in about 100 yards' time, and it's completely blocked by a bank, concrete, and then steel doors that shut out the baby eels. Well, I'm walking along the side of this uh, drainage ditch, as Andrew Kerr describes it. He's the chairman of the Sustainable Eel Group. And we're going to walk up towards this barrier that you describe there, um, which is hampering very much the passage for the baby eels, for yes. these elvers. What happens is um, a glass eel arrives, having taken about two years to float across the Atlantic on the currents. And what it's trying to do is to metamorphosize from this transparent glass eel colour where it can't swim to something pigmented, coloured, that can actually fight and flight. And it likes nursery habitat to do that. And by creating these barriers, we've shut out so much of their nursery habitat, which they do this metamorphosis in. And these are obviously man-made barriers because this is about controlling um, yes. water levels Absolutely. to protect us as human beings Absolutely from flooding. Right. Yes. This is why this has happened. They've been here for hundreds of years, but the structures were made of wood and they leaked. And so the eels could get through. But when, when you've got steel and shut doors, there is no way. So we climb... Oh, there's the Severn on the other yeah, side. Yeah. <laughs> it suddenly appears, appears again. Yes. Right, so... Imagine this sort of channel uh, coming off the river, which is really, it's very full, isn't it? Look, it's yeah. come right over the fences yeah. here. The steel doors are pushed closed, yes. and that stops the flood water yeah. going into the... Yeah. 
the farmland into yeah. people's homes. I mean, all sorts yeah. of things I like mean, that. There's no question of, of its value in flood mm. defence. Mm. Um, what we would say is that we need to find technologies and ways so that the eels can get through. We don't want to break the flood defence, but we need to find solutions. I mean, the Environment Agency, the drainage boards and so on, they're all waking up to this issue. And the Sustainable Eel Group has just won many millions of pounds for a programme of conservation um, to open up these critical barriers. And that would mean giving eels some sort of passageway yes, somehow. Bypasses a way of leaking through. Exactly. Mm-hmm, yeah. Without causing it, any damage. I mean, it could be that it's only a very few weeks of the year. It could be that we leave them open for a very few weeks of the year. Mm. I mean, the eels are coming in all the time, or many, many months of the year. But you get this real concentration in April. So there's a three or four tides in a row, a tide every eight, nine days or so. So the three or four in a row, when that's the magic moment, you need to let them in. And if there's no flood threat at that time... What, as, um, as an organisation yourself, what do you think could and should be done to preserve and encourage the growth of this eel population right. once again? We believe that the causes of the eel's decline are fundamentally environmental. So saying stop fishing is not actually going to solve the problem. Fishing is a very small part of a much bigger environmental tragedy. The eel is a great indicator of how well we're managing the northern hemisphere, how well we're managing our waterways, our rivers, our wetlands, our lakes. So if we want to make a difference for the eel, we have got to help it. We've got to unblock the migratory pathways, like we're proposing here, with this great wetland behind. But it's not just in the UK. In Sweden, 95% of the silver eels trying to escape back to the sea are killed in their hydros. In In hydroelectric plants. Fishing is part of the problem. It's part of the solution. But the real problem is an environmental one. We have to get it right, not only for the eels, but also for mankind. We only want fishing to carry on under very controlled circumstances. And we've created a standard which only 5% of what is caught at the moment meets. If we can get more people to adopt the standard, then there can be a future for the industry. But conservationists would say there is no such thing in the current times as sustainable eel because the the populations are so critically endangered you cannot give it a sustainable label. That's their conservation view. I'm a conservationist. There are lots of conservationists in, in the sustainable eel group, all the leading scientists. These are the people who've developed the standard. They are the real experts in eel. What you've got there is generalists. In general, fishing for eels in an unsustainable way it has no future. Do it to our standard and we'll support you. I've swapped rivers because I've come through Ross-on-Wye and I'm sitting along the bank of the River Wye, which again, like the Severn, is in quite a fast spate there. And I'm with Bernadette Clark, who is a fisheries officer with the Marine Conservation Society. Now... We know that the eel is on the red list. What does that actually mean? Well, eel, European eel, Anguilla, Anguilla, is assessed by IUCN, the International Conservation Union, as critically endangered. Every year they publish, or every two years, I think they publish a red list, which includes species like the panda and uh, species like the European eel. Mm. It's also red listed. And uh, the the scientific 
reports state that the European glass seal recruitment, the trend has fallen to 5% of the level that it was in the 1960s to 1980s. It's a substantial and critical decline in the stock. Yes, and there are obviously a number of reasons as to why that might have happened. What is the position of the Marine Conservation Society on that? Well, our position is informed by the scientific advice published by ICES, the International Council for the Exploration of the Sea, and their assessment of the stock remains the same, that the stock is in a critical condition. And their advice is that all mortality, which includes fishing, both commercial and recreational, and mortality caused by hydroelectric schemes and pollution, should be reduced to a level as close to zero as possible. So what are you doing to help achieve that? We use that advice, and that advice informs our website, Fish Online. We publish advice for consumers and we list eel as a fish to avoid. So you're saying don't eat eel? Yes, we are. Yep. You're saying don't eat them and they shouldn't be fished. So you're saying, in a way, leave the eels alone. But the fishing community would say these are fish that need to be fished and restocked in the rivers. You would say no to that? Yes. Restocking, whilst I think from a educational point of view, taking elvers out of the river bringing them on and returning them to the sea is very or useful. Or to the river. Or to the river, and then ultimately they will go to, out to sea. That has to be useful, doesn't it? Yes, it's useful, but how successful it is, we don't know. The scientific advice on restocking is that it should not be used to continue fishing. Well, I mean, they are being put back in the river, whereas many of them wouldn't have survived. You know, trying to get over the barriers that we as humans have put in rivers, sea defences, weirs, uh, sluice gates, the eels can't get past that. But if they're humanly taken out of the, the river there and put into another part of the river where they can progress, then surely that is yeah, that, a positive that, thing. that is one factor that is contributing to the demise of eel. Other factors include the effects of climate change and changes in the sea on the the Gulf Stream that brings the elvers to our rivers. But we feel that we can directly help the eel by not consuming it. What would you say of the situation at the moment? Uh, Well, the scientific advice for the, the stock is that there's been no change since last year and the previous years the uh, stock remains in a critical condition and shows no sign of recovery and the position of the Marine Conservation Society is that until such time as there is or are signs of recovery we would suggest that there is no fishing on the stock Well here I am at the Grange School in Monmouth and I'm walking down to the river's edge with year five And it is your task today to release these eels into the river. 
So we've got the steps to take us down to the river and all the boys are very safely lined up all the way along the top of the steps. And the head of school, Mrs Elaine Thomas, is with us as well. So what a wonderful project. We've heard about this Eels in Schools. It's been very exciting. Uh, Richard Cook came to us a little while ago and asked if we would like to look after some Elvers and we were very keen to do that. Uh, The river's such an important part of Monmouth Town, as you probably realise, that... Uh, river Mono flows into the River Wye and there's been a settlement here since before Roman times and we're very aware of the importance of looking after the river. And what a terrific way to help understand what goes on in the river if you become involved with one of the creatures that that, that passage up and down here. So today is the day boys. Today is the day and Richard has got... Uh, he's helped you bring the, the eels down to the riverside because it would just be just be too tricky to carry them from the school door down to the river, wouldn't it? I yeah, think they'd be yeah, slopping yeah. about all over the place. <laughs> so he's put them in white polystyrene boxes and we have got stacks of them along here so that every boy in your class has a chance, Richard, to restock <laughs> the river with some eels. When you see all the boys gathered and then this helping hand they're giving in restocking... It's a wonderful experience for a school child, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, not just for them. I, I, I have fantastic fun doing it. And the rewards from it are great to see children that are really enthusiastic about putting something back to the world that they've looked after. And they're learning about the river and the eels at the same time? I've schooled in this area all my life, yeah? And when I went to school as a child, they taught me about lambs and chickens and cattle and horses, but no-one actually taught me about the river, you know? And I feel that water... Water will be the next oil. Water is a very, very important natural resource that we have. And we don't give that enough respect, we don't give that enough regard, and we don't know enough about it early enough in our life yet. So, now whereas they're doing a fantastic thing for real, and they really are helping, it also educates them about pollution, it educates them about the water ecology. Yeah, we say this is important food for us, but as it's important food for mink and kingfisher and all the other. Birds and, eat the eels, yeah. Yes. So yeah. It's, it's an overall project, yeah, that, that, you know, the spin-off is helping the eel, but it also teaches the kids about the river and water and the dangers of the river as well. OK, can you all lis- listen in? This is what will be in your box. So these are the little fishes that you've looked after. There'll be around about 100 in each box. And what we're going to do is we're going to put them in through the corner of the box... We want to drop the corner of the box in and let the river into the box. And then the fish will slowly disappear. Okay. All right, all right. My line, come down here. Would you like to take the lid off your box? You ready? Okay, all right. Oliver, you're going to very carefully step down the last few of these steps and I'm standing alongside you. Now, you dip down very carefully and what did Richard say you were to do? Um, Let the corner into the river and let the river water in. Oh, fantastic, isn't it? Look at that, a wrangler. And they're staying in the corner, aren't they, Oliver? Yeah, but it's a bit cold probably. Because in the water in the classroom, it must be twice as warm as this. But slowly, they're slipping yeah. over the edge of the box into the brown water. Oh, there, one empty box. How do you feel about that after having raised them in the classroom all that time? 
feels quite good that finally them left going into the river. And have you learnt about eels and about the river because you've had this project yes. going on? Yeah, Has it really made a difference? Yes, definitely. Yes, definitely has made a difference. Now we know about where they come from, so I guess you see, and how long it takes them to get here, and how big they grow. Now I have to go and help the next boy. Oh, you have a full Whoa. box here. Oh, I know. <laughs> now remember what he said? Get put corner in. Okay, one box left, boys. Shall I have a shot at this? Yes. yes. Oh, pouring the eels into my hands. Oh, oh. How did that feel? Look. Oh, it's lovely. Look, you just clasp them in cupped hands and you see them. Look, there's greens and browns and there's almost a blue in there. Whoops. <laughs> As he tried to escape. Now, very, gently. very gently. Oh, what a wonderful feeling. You're just sort of releasing new life into the, the river, aren't we? Yeah, that's yeah, what this, we've done this is the, with uh, these boys now, and off they go. This is the feel-good part of the whole project. Yeah, that, it, it eight is. weeks of looking after these fish, and they're letting them back to the wild, where they can feed and they can now develop into the big eels to return back and complete the life cycle. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? The last one. The last one. You come don't on, want to go out. Come out the box. <laughs> Here you go. Give him a flick. Come on. There you go. And he's gone. <laughs> 